We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Everybody, it's Steve with Sense Fidelity. I'm just coming at you with another book review, this time on Plain Talks on Marriage by Father Fulgence Meyer, OFM. He was in Cincinnati, I think it was. We'll go over a little history of that, but it's a very short but uh, solid book. I think every parish should make their couples read this. And uh, if you already married, get it. Learn it, love it, know it. I think that was... Uh, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I can't remember. My brain just quit. Anyway, so a little bit more on the book. Again, you can use the promo code as a promo code SF50 for checkout for 15% off. And uh, so anyway, Fulgence Meyer, a good Catholic man, loves his wife, not only in the first period of marriage when she is young, beautiful, sprightly, vivacious, and generally charming, and where their union still has the spice of novelty and freshness, but he will love her as much or even more as years wear on. That's a quote by Father Meyer. So published in the 1920s, this timeless book offers practical counsel and wisdom relevant for every Catholic married couple and those preparing for the great, this great sacrament. Specifically, this book addresses how to form a truly Catholic home, the challenges and various sins that destroy marital love, and above all, how spousal love ought to flourish. With simplicity and singleness of purpose, plain talks, imitate, and reverent style will give you frank, illuminating, and correct answers to the questions that perplex you. Those who read this book will become better spouses and parents. I definitely say that I agree with everything. They just said that was on the back cover of the book that not the old school that's what they put on the that's what tam put on the back cover of this book it's newly it's updated and revised uh they took out just one page and i checked out that page uh long ago and it's nothing's missing so if you get anybody that says you know from the beginning and say hey there's something missing it really didn't matter and i think they added some footnotes other than that this is basically the same as the i guess 1950s version that last came out uh I mean, first published by St. Francis Bookshop in Cincinnati, Ohio. And Myra was from Cincinnati. Um, yeah, you got the, there's the Imprimatur, 1927. So originally published in 1927, Franciscan Friars, Province of St. John the Baptist, Cincinnati, Ohio. Editor's note, a few sentences, footnotes were added to elaborate on the author's work. Revisions and deletions have been included to make the work more accessible to the modern re reader's sensitivities. See, and I haven't seen the updated, so I don't know exactly what it is, but it's, it's going to be, it's an awesome book. Get You should get it. Uh, you'd be crazy not to get it. There are some of the chapters. Happiness and marriage, nature of marriage, purpose and privileges of marriage, sins against holy marriage, part one, two, and three. Those are really good chapters. 
the education of children, you know, husband and wife, and about the author. This is just a sample page of chapter one. In Rome, several years ago, one of the reverend councils, or consultors of the sacred congregation of the sacraments, told the writer that the sacrament of matrimony gives the congregation more work and trouble than all the other sacraments taken together. I know a priest that actually said, this is when they were in seminary, he's talking about, man, if we could just get marriage right, it would eliminate, <laughs> he picked the number, the 80, 90% of the sins you have in a confessional. Maybe that's right, I don't know. Every bishop, pastor, I've never been in a confessional for the other side. Uh, every bishop, pastor, missionary, and confessor has about the same story to tell when he measures not so much the volume of the work as the worry it gives him. Nor will this surprise us when we consider that the sacrament of marriage affects human nature in its most sensitive and self-assertive domain. It intends to moderate and regulate love, than which there is no more personal element and no greater force in man or woman. So there's a little bit more in just the first chapter. Now it's, it's obviously there's sub chapters in it, uh, like a delicate yet grateful task is the first sub chapter. A pillar in the cloud on the stage of life. God has chosen you a valid tears an infallible recipe, family prayer. And that's just the first chapter, a precious crucifix. It's just like that. The it's just something simple. The family crucifix should be the most precious object and should form the most cherished and frequent shrine of the entire house. Around it, center the sweetest and dearest family memories and traditions. Perhaps it is an heirloom that has come down from father to son or from mother to daughter in uncounted generations. Or perhaps it is a wedding present from the pastor or some dear friend. When the young couple for the first time enter their own household, it was before this crucifix that they mutually renewed the pledge of their great love and lasting union. And when the first trials of married life came upon them, it was before this crucifix that they poured out their grief together and asked for solace, courage, and strength. When God gave them the grand blessing of the first child, they again knelt before this crucifix in warm appreciation and fervent gratitude. They repeated this act of wholehearted joy and recognition of each new addition to the family circle. When God in his inscrutable providence withdrew one of the children he had given perhaps the best and dearest or the only one, their first impulse was to throw themselves down before the sacred crucifix and exclaim, grief-stricken but resigned, the Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. And as it has pleased the Lord, so it is done. So is it done. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job 1.21 And at the death of each member of the family, this hallowed crucifix receives the last conscious sigh and kiss of love from him or her who derived their sweetest solace from it. All attitudes and fortunes of life. A friend of mine who has quite a few kids, uh, well, maybe he's just one. I'm not 100% sure. That's a priest. Uh, I know one, at least one, is a priest. Uh, has a chapter uh, on finer femininity. Has a couple chapters with this book. This is where, I first, secondly, I first heard about it after I started looking it up after a priest told me about it. I looked it up, and she was the only one that had clips or sections of the book in uh, on her website. And this is a subchapter from chapter one, The Hunter and His Son. Now, this is just, this, there's one, two, three, is three possible chapters, depending on what the edit is, two, three chapters. So 
much longer than what is on it. It's just a section of it. A mother who had, a man who had long given up the practice of holy faith had a son, about 14 years of age, who had just received his first solemn communion with sincere piety. The father was very fond of him. Shortly after the boy's first solemn communion, the father accosted him one Sunday morning, saying he should get ready before they were going out together to hunt all day. The boy replied, Papa, I must go to Mass first. At this, the father seemed peeved and rejoined, Oh, you need not to go to Mass now anymore. You're getting old enough to have more liberty. Now the boy appeared hurt and said, Papa, does not the third commandment say, Remember that thou keep holy the Sabbath day? Third commandment, nothing, answered the irate father. That does not mean anything. The boy gravely looked up at his father and said solemnly, Papa, if the third commandment does not mean anything, then the fourth commandment, which says, Honor thy father and mother, thy mother, does not count either. If I do not have to honor God, I need not honor you. At this utterance, the father grew pensive. He feared that if he would not relent, he would lose his hold on his son. He therefore said cautiously, Well, maybe it is better you, that you go to Mass, and I will go with you. He continued to accompany his son to Mass ever after to his own and to the family's welfare and happiness. The reason many Catholic parents lose out with their children and have no sway over them is be often because they themselves disobey God and ignore his authority. If God's authority means so little to them, the children argue, why should my parents' authority mean anything to me? The Catholic couple shows the fear of the Lord by receiving the sacraments worthy, worthily and often. They would dread to take the chance of doing without a heavenly food of our Lord's body and blood for so long. They go frequently, if possible, even every day. They not only approach the Holy Rail themselves, but they see to it that all the members of the family communicate often. Their example alone will usually be a sufficient factor to bring this about. Other subchapters in chapter one, the parish church, the Holy Name Society. It's a Now, many people probably don't even know what the Holy Name Society is. It's an old school society, obviously for the Holy Name of Jesus. Uh, if you have it, I know a lot of traditional parishes do have the Holy Name Society. I was in it when I was at the in uh, Denver at uh, Our Lady Mount Carmel. A great, great group of guys. Uh, but if it's it's something needs to get back, obviously. Uh, picnics and card parties. Uh, let's see. E pluribus unum. That's not what you're thinking. <laughs> uh, it's not talking about anything that's on the backside of your dollar bill. But again, read the book, you'll see. A house of God. It says, and again, since, as was said above, the parents are the priests of the little parish, which is their family and their home. They will at once take it upon themselves to give their home the air of a house of God. In other words, they will supply it with those emblems that ought to have a place in every Catholic home. Of these emblems, the first and foremost is the crucifix, of which mention was made above. Besides, it, there ought to be other representations of our Lord, his mother, and the saints, discreetly placed about the house. Well, the house needs not to be turned into a holy picture gallery. Maybe that's my problem, <laughs> especially in my little office here. Yet a prudent selection of holy pictures will become a Catholic home well. Now, the rest of the house is prudently, but more than most. When I was with the Knights of Columbus, um, I remember going into some houses. And I wouldn't, you wouldn't know if they were, I mean, we're supposed to only be for Catholic men. There was homes we went into, you would never, it looked more, looked secular. If, even though there was, it wasn't a crucifix you saw, much less a photo of Our Lady or anybody in there. There's nothing. 
In the meantime, they are a continuous reminder of God and his saints, the heroes and heroines of virtue to the family, and thus provide it with a potent stimulant to piety and goodness. Every Catholic home should have on hand two candlesticks, two blessed wax candles to be used in cases of sickness for the administration of the sacraments, also a bottle containing holy water, and in every sleeping room there ought to be a small holy water fount. Another chapter, another subchapter is the, the Holy Bible. This is a copy of the Holy Bible, the lives of the saints. And of some good explanation of Catholic beliefs and practices should be found in every Catholic home. It should, moreover, keep at least one Catholic magazine together with the Catholic newspaper of the Diocese of Province. Let's see. To God, what is God's? To Caesar, what is Caesar's? And the first, yeah, good first, right off the bat, good Catholics are not only loyal members to their church, but also dutiful citizens of the state. You think about it with the, the great line from St. Thomas More, I'm, the God's, I'm the God's servant, but I'm, I'm the king's loyal servant, but God's first. See, the mighty ballot. And it talks about uh, voting, I think it is. Yes. David and Goliath, last of chapter one. In chapter two, I mean, I'll, I'll just go through some of them, especially when, since uh, Ms. Vanderputten has it on her website. Uh, the nature, nature of Marriage is chapter two. Literally, that's the name of the chapter. <clears throat> Instructing the first uh, Christian married men and women with regard to marriage, St. Paul said, this is a great sacrament, but I speak in Christ and in the church. Outside the church, notably in our country, matrimony is not only not treated as a sacrament, but has really been degraded to, some, to a sort of a joke or a farce. Yet the church upholds its sacredness as much as ever in the face of neglect and ridicule in the world, of the world. In the first subchapters, this one is literally the God-given helpmate. God himself instituted matrimony as the first and most binding human contract at the beginning of the race. After he created Adam and placed him in paradise, he said, It is not good for man to be alone. Let us make him a help-like unto himself. He created Eve to be Adam's helpmate. She was to help him attain his highest natural happiness and perfection, mentally, bodily, spiritually, emotionally, religiously, socially, in every other way. And he, on his part, was to render the same service to her. God intended this service to be bilateral, correct, uh, correl correlative, and reactive. Each one was to achieve happiness and perfection by assisting the other party towards them. God made man and woman different from each other in body and mind, but not anti-agnostic. But anti-agnostic. They were not to be mutually hostile and combative, but helpful and sup supplementary to one another. The one was to, was to supply what the other lacked, not only regards to the body, but to the soul, where husband and wife have a correct conception of the relations and closely live upon them. They reach the greatest height of natural goodness, contentment, peace, and happiness. This is what God meant when he said, it's not good for man to be alone. Let us make him a help like unto himself. How utterly sad that so many instances of persons who have been disdained who have been destined to be the grandest help and sweetest solace of one another are mutually the heaviest handicap and the greatest killjoy to each other. And another subchapter is the nature's greatest love. Here it is right here. Uh, the great sac a great sacrament. As a sacrament, then matrimony is holy as is baptism, holy Eucharist, and holy orders. Our holy mother of the church and evinces Another subchapter is Jesus at the wedding. 
or Jesus at a wedding. Uh, it speaks of the wedding at Cana. And the next one is, are you really married? It goes on, you are married. Have you been married according to the laws of the church? If not, yours is not a lawful marriage, but merely a sinful relation with a person who is not your mate. By elevating marriage to the dignity of a sacrament, Christ gave the church exclusive charge of the marriage of his followers. As little power as the state or other external agents have over the administration of Holy Communion, for instance, or holy orders, so little right have they over the sacrament of matrimony. The Catholic who attempts marriage before a non-Catholic minister is by that very deed excommunicated or expelled from the church. From this excommunication, the penitent can be absolved only by the bishop or by the priest delegated by the bishop. In case you have not been legitimately married or your union is capable of adjustment, have it righted the sooner the better. When unnecessarily prolong your estrangement from God, your remorse of conscience, and your great risk of losing your eternal salvation. The process will not be so hard and disagreeable as you imagine. And it's not. I know we've, I know a couple guys have done that, and we've, we've told them before, is to go get your marriage blessed. And so you will find a pastor and a bishop considerate, sympathetic, and kind. Do not hesitate or delay, therefore, to consult the peace of your mind and the welfare of your immortal soul. Whatever humility, humili humiliation or mortification may be demanded of you in a procedure, in the procedure you might you ought to endure cheerfully in atonement of the sin you committed by your sinful attempt of marriage, and as the price of a good conscience. Uh, the sacrament of the living, where there's a will, there's a way. Uh, that's the end of that. So chapter three is the purposes and privileges of marriage. This is the mainly. Uh, I'll get into like the marital act, I think, as well. The stupid, the stupid ostrich is the first sub, uh, sub uh, chapter. Next one is the physician of the soul. Well, just the first couple of sentences. Uh, the conscientious Catholic married man and woman are grateful when, for whatever instruction or information is given them regarding the sacred relations of married life. They want to do only what is right. In order to do it, they have to know it. Who is to tell them what is right or wrong in the conduct of marriage, if not the priest, their God-given guide and teacher? So all things are clean to the clean uh, for the greater glory of God. For the glory of God. Three purposes of marriage. Another sub sub one. It's uh, the three purposes for what God instituted in holy marriage are first: the reproduction and multiplication of the human race. Second place, I'm skipping now, matrimony is the foster mutual love and attachment between husband and wife. Finally, it is destined to serve as a sedative to concupiscence or the sexual passion. Let's see, practical corollaries, enough is too much. Uh, this just says, how often is the marriage act allowed? That depends on the will and choice of the parties concerned. So eating and drinking furnished an illustration here. We are not told how many meals we may eat a day. This is left to our judgment. But if one is intemperate in the consumption of food and attempts, let us say, to eat six full meals a day, he will soon destroy his very cap cap capacity to take, food at all, take, to take food at all, and with it every appetite for food and all enjoyment in its partaking. What was designed to give him pleasure only produces nausea and disgust in him. 
This is nature's punishment for intemperance. It is the same relatively with regard to immoderation and communable indulgence. It soon brings its own penalty, not only in the way of corporal weakness and disease, but it also produces a certain estrangement, coldness, and disgust between the parties who are guilty of it. There's more on that in there. In moderation is happiness, is the next one. The spirit is above the flesh. Let's see, the children of saints. You got voluntary abstinence, certain inference, certain inferences, uh, further corollaries. Ask a priest is literally the, the title of that. Basically, if there remains to you a doubt in this important matter of married life, ask the priest in the confessional for the information you require. This is the final caution. After having told what is lawful in marriage, I must once more add the caution that husband and wife will be wise and always behaving in such a matter towards each other whilst they tender one another the desire for expressions of genuine and ardent conjugal love. They never forfeit for one another the high respect and delicate regard which are so valuable in an asset and an asset and the happiness of marriage. Even married people can get to know one another too well and become too intimate for their own good. St. Francis Sell says a gentleman or a lady are even are such even when alone. Hence, it is not expecting too much to ask them to be such when they are joined in the sweet and sacred relations of husband and wife. It may be hard to maintain the role throughout, but it pays wonderfully. St. Gregory, too, gives valuable advice when he reminds us that the best way to keep oneself from doing what is unlawful is through abstain ever and anon from what is lawful. Married people will find this custom if they apply it prudently and use their marriage to be a wonderful pre preservative of the sweet and substantial happiness of marriage. So chapter four, sins against holy marriage. And uh, the subchapters are violation of nature the fraud, not one another, for better or for worse. Let's see. Depth tribulations. The golden rule. Selfishness does not invite sacrifice. Exemptions and excuses. That's it for first part one. Part two, sins against holy marriage. The sins, the sin of many names. Uh, that one's, I think it's a birth control, race, suicide, contraception. Yeah. Uh, nature is outraged. Uh, vomitorium of the Romans. Talks about a, it's basically birth control on that one. A detestable thing, a blessing and a curse, renegades and hypocrites, foolish subterfuges, Let's see, judge not. Goes as basically is here's a caution is the season that we must not judge others by mere appearances. We can, be, we can be very uncharitable and unfair in blaming or even only suspecting them of sinful practices because uh, 
just because they have no children or but one or two of many years of married life or because the children are far apart in years. These are some meddlesome and gossipy people who are inclined to say they must be taken precaution. He says, indeed, they are taking precaution, but often this is virtuous rather than sinful. It is the church's business, is another one. God is the author of the law. Virginity in marriage. The twofold contract. Who would be here? Uh, we're talking about like existence. Uh, kind of like I think it was a oh man was it Catherine Sienna who was like the 21st or 22nd child a shocking sup supposition let's see what else what can we do kind of like uh, worried about money and distress things like that this life's a trial forbid them not Nature is a hard creditor on the critical case. Hypocrisy is at its zenith, folly at its height. The spread of the cancer, love finds a way. A high privilege and an inestimable distinction. An inestimable distinction. It starts off with, if in the world there was only one couple to whom God gave the power of parenthood, how they would be envied by all others for the stupendous and almost divine privilege. Next one is, uh, where are the rest? No empty excuses. Question answers. Uh, nature's great mystery. Uh, the ex excellence of motherhood and what mankind owes to motherhood. And then part three starts after that. I think part three is the longest. No, part two was the longest. Uh, little subchapters that is like a complete co collapse. And basically, it's an adultery. The fatal stroll. And that brings up King David. Uh, the wages of sin. He goes in David's adulterous maneuvers did not remain hidden. Uh, resist the beginning, uh, temptation. The flesh is weak. Many a Catholic man, if he had observed these measures of caution and safety regarding a certain person in his employ or sister-in-law and someone who belonged to the same club or camped at the same place or stayed at the same resort as, his, as he and his family or whom he casually met on a train or whom he had some occasion to render a service to his work or profession would today not be deploring the loss of what life contained dearest, sweetest, and most precious to him, and the recovery of which is now and will ever be impossible. This is the same is true, of, unfortunately, of Catholic married women. The king of sinners, the king of penitents, King David. Adultery, incest, murder, King David, Herod. Jesus was silent, stoned to death. The wedding ring. 
This was I thought this was a really cool little sub thing. That was I really I really liked that one. It was the ring you give your wife at the wedding ceremony was an emblem of as well as a token of your love. It was the ring of pure gold and indicated that your love was pure and unalloyed. It was strong and round to show the strength and endlessness of your love for her. This is the love you profess. You put the ring on her finger and she professed the same love for you as she accepted it. She will keep her troth if you keep yours. When she is on her deathbed, she will no doubt be able to hand you back the ring and say, quote, to this ring and its signification, I have never been disloyal, not even in thought or desire. Since you gave it to me before the altar of God, I have loved no other man but you. You controlled all the affection and devotion of my heart, all the warmth and glow of my imagination, and all the feelings and emotions of my being. Receive this ring then as pure and as hallowed as it was when I received it from you on our wedding day. I thought it was a great little subchapter. Uh, crime of crimes. They cry to heaven for vengeance. Uh, excommunicated. Illegal operations. Whiter than snow. How must you say it? Uh, that's the end of that. Chapter 7 is the education of children. Uh, Subchapters include a grand charity. Education, when does it start? Uh, as a, merely to have children is not a great credit, but to bring them up carefully in the knowledge, love, and service of God is a credit. When does education of the child begin? As soon as it is conceived, or rather at the very conception. He explains how the effects of heredity, expectant mothers, and Sunday Mass. Let's see, involuntary miscarriage, in God we trust, do not delay baptism, that's a big one for today, how many people wait weeks, months, years for baptism anymore, reliable sponsors, just, yeah, just don't pick, you know, people just because you're friends, beware, beware of the milestone, the important education era, the Catholic school, 16 farms and the Catholic school might be a little bit different than it was then. Nature of sexual mysteries, little crosses, big crosses. The deadly lake ride, the shipwreck of the soul. The power of love, lifeless idols. There are parents who in regard to their children are very delinquent in the necessary vigilance. They are like idols mentioned in the Bible. They have mouths and speak not. They have eyes and see not. They have ears and hear not. They have noses and smell not. They have hands and feel not. They have feet and walk not. Their children practically do as they please without let or hindrance of their parents. Uh, so the black sheep. And uh, Ms. Vander, Vander Pudding has that up here. There's the lifeless idols right there. And I'll have these linked in the show notes. So if you want to read these, the whole thing, you can. And uh, let's see. Yeah, I'll just let you read that one if you want to. The important choice. The Lord is generous. The bane of mixed marriages. Obviously, that's mixed marriages as in a Catholic and a heretic. Did I say the H word? Yes. 
why the difference? By the way, you know it's a uh, what is it? Mean parents, you know, mean parents, you can't have mean parents. Wise parents, the lethal engine. Let's see, obedience ceases, love goes on. This is when children marry, they establish a household of their own and are automatically withdrawn from parental authority. Goes on for a little bit, obviously. Jealous parents, give and take. Ruth and Naomi. And then uh, chapter 8 is husband and wife, the grandest love. True love never dies. Love is operative. The false husband, the drunkard and gambler, the selfish husband, the miser husband, honey versus vinegar, the church loves Christ. And see the church trusts Christ. The church works and suffers for Christ. The disloyal uh, wife, the jealous wife, the lion and dragon. They expect too much. The foe of the home. See mentioned that must be made two of the idle, gallivanting and frivolous wife who seems to consider marriage as a tithe to empty enjoyment and carefree amusement. At home, she feels ill at ease and she is only happy when she has a date for a card game, a dance, a show, or something similar. Virtue and common sense. The St. Paul says, bear ye one another's burdens. On the one hand, there is no natural happiness greater than sweeter than a merry life. On the other, the achievement is no other earthly happiness requires more virtue and good sense. Uh, she was contrary. I see divorce. And since I mentioned the word divorce, I may as well remind my readers once more that the marriage of Christians duly contracted and consummated throughout the through cohabit cohabitation can never be dissolved by any power on earth save the death of one of the parties. See. Separation from bed and board. That's the next subchapter. Uh, Painted black. Let's see. What is it? This let's see is a Franciscan cleric and submitting his case. And if they desire to enlist in his mission, they should picture the conditions of a missionary in China as black and disagreeable as possible. And yet they could be sure that when they got there, they would find conditions even much worse than they had pictured them. Young people contemplating marriage might do well in following the same method. Caresses and abuses, love is everything. He fell in the creek. And it was in the basis come to the conclusion. In conclusion, I tell a story of a life of a great Catholic German parliamentarian, Ludwig Windhorst. Let's see. And it shows about his falling in love with this uh, one love of his life. Credit to whom is due. So say with all of us and Let's see, Mary and Joseph, the ideal couple. And finally, all aboard for God's home and ours. And I think in the tan edition, uh, they go into the next chapter is who is Fulton's Meyer. Basically, he was just, he was a missionary Franciscan priest at Cincinnati back in the early 1900s. Oh, by the way, here's one that people could get with uh, 
uh, something for this the, this time. I think he, he wrote this in. I don't know what chapter. Uh, probably should have looked it up beforehand. But it says, this life's a trial. In every state, a life or profession situations arise that test human virtue. To the utmost demand heroic self-denial, these situations are not in particular, are not all peculiar uh, to married life alone, but they occur in some form or other in a celibate life as well as the, uh, as the life of a religious convent of a priest of God. What would you think of a priest, for example, who would hardly enjoy all the honors and uh, emolents privileges attached to his office, but when there was a question performing his ar an arduous duty, say if risking his life to administer sacraments at a time of epidemic, it would cravely be found, he would cravely be found wanting. Would you not entertain the deepest contempt for so cowardly a character? Hmm. Something like that we could think of for last year. Why then do you not similarly despise yourself for enjoying unrestrained, unrestrainedly the privileges of holy matrimony while you meanly and virally shirk its sac sacred duties. Does something cease to be a duty no sooner it becomes difficult for rendition? In a context, see, Father Meyer died in 38, and those above words came from uh, the Spanish flu of 1918 1919, where way more died. But you can think about today. But anyway, I'll put all these in the show notes along with the link to Plank Talks of Marriage. And all you gotta do is again, uh, type SF15 in the show notes and you'll get 15% off. But yes, highly recommend you get in this book, uh, especially if you're parish to request that for folks about to get married. If you, Again, if you're already married, get it. This is a must have book. Uh, Fulgence Myers books are, I've read, there's only about three or four that I've been able to find. Uh, and his all this stuff is really good. And most of this is basically just reading a conference from him. And obviously, he didn't have a uh, voice recorder, so he was able to he wrote these down. Anyways, yes, plain talks of marriage. Father Fulgence Meyer, OFM, get it. Uh, it's fantastic. Like I said, buy two, give away to a friend. God love you.